What is grief? How does the Christian grieve? Hey, what not the podcast? Pastor Wolfmuller here, uh, pulling a little audio from a YouTube video on what is grief or five quick notes about grief. This is very different than we're used to thinking about grief. I hope you'll enjoy it and uh, send me a note if you uh, have thoughts or things that you'd like to add to the conversation. Thanks so much. What is the Christian attitude toward grief? This is a good question. This is not a Sunday drive home. This is a Tuesday afternoon wait for football practice to finish. Uh, but yesterday, Concordia University in Austin, Texas, asked if I would come preach at their chapel service. And the theme for the whole week and last week is grief. And the biblical topic specific to yesterday was King David's grief as he grieved the death of Absalom and also as he grieved the death of his son from Bathsheba. And we'll talk about that grief at the very end and how it's instructive uh, for us. But I, I had some notes and I thought, you know, this would not be a bad topic for a video. So I've got five points to run through on the Christian attitude toward grief. Number one, grief is not a sin. We often think of it like a sin. In fact, it's often treated like a sin. But we should remember that the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept there in John chapter 11 when he he's mourning the death of Lazarus, his friend, and they say, oh, see how he loved him. That, that's, uh, that Jesus never sinned and Jesus mourned so that mourning, weeping, crying, grieving is not a sin. In fact, point number two, grief is a good work. It's the shape that love takes when the object of our love is absent. So that we should grieve. In fact, part of our Christian life is being a good steward of our grief. And, and living a life of grieving as we mourn those who have gone before us into heaven and are no longer with us. We, we often think of grief as something that should end. We treat it that way. Time heals all wounds. That's nonsense. If you're grieving the loss of your grandparents, your parents, your spouse, your children, your grandchildren, your dear friends, your neighbors, those that you love, then you're doing a good work. That's what you're supposed to do. Now, number three, and this has to go with the stages of grief. We don't, that, that idea of the stages of grief, okay, here's point number three. I'll just say it first. Grief comes in waves, not in stages. The idea of the stages of grief, as best I can tell, comes from evolutionary psychology as they wrestle through the difficulty of how we evolved to grieve. And, and everything for them is mathematical. And The stages of grief, it comes in waves and it looks different for everybody and it looks different for every situation. Don't, it's, it's um, in some ways you just got to let it come. You, you, the, the stages is like, okay, now am I angry? Am I rejecting? Am I? It's, you're going to have all of those things. Everyone grieves different, differently. And the main thing for grief is to recognize that it's not a sickness that we need to heal from. Point four, or maybe three point B, which kind of four, is that these waves take different shapes. So sometimes grief looks like loneliness. I remember talking to a man who was mourning the death of his sister and he told me pastor I learned about her death 
and I picked up the phone to call my sister to tell her and I looked and I realized I was I would always call her to update her if anybody that we knew died and I'm looking at the phone realizing it's her she's the one who's gone there's a deep loneliness and a feeling of aloneness but the Lord comes along and he promises never to leave us or forsake us and he gives us the gift of friendship. We gotta really think about as Christians the gift of friendship and how the Lord would have us not only to have friends but to be good friends and to pursue the vocation of friendship. Second, grief looks like sadness but the Lord gives us joy and if, we want, if we're wondering where to find joy, the first step towards joy is thanksgiving. So if you're thinking, man, I, I don't have the joy that I wish I had, that, that the next thing to do is to give thanks. And that path of thanksgiving leads to joy. Also sorrow, and yet the Lord gives hope. First Thessalonians 4.13 says that we do not grieve as those who have no hope. We grieve, but we grieve with hope. So the Lord mixes hope with grief, peace with tears, comfort with sorrow, uh, uh, his kindness with the pain that we feel in this world. So it's, it, he mixes it all up. And uh, there's regret. Now this is where, this is where we got to be very careful, try to be very clear. Because one of the things that I've seen as I've been with families that are mourning is that everybody who's mourning has regret over simply the fact that death ends the opportunity to love. And especially if I, as I feel the, the gap in my own love for the people in my family or, or whatever, uh, death cuts off the chance to, to make up the gap. So people think, well, I, I should have done more. I could have done more. I could have called more. I could have said more. I could have cared more. I could have been there more. There's all these regrets. And all of us, all of us, if you're watching this and you don't have any regrets, then... Um, you should probably just are not, haven't lived long enough, they'll come. I mean, all of us have these regrets. And the way that most people try to address regrets is, is with the comfort of, well, no, no, you did all you could. You were a good son. You did everything that was expected of you. You tried hard or whatever. But that is a false comfort, and if you're regretting your lack of love, you know it because you, okay, let me just speak to myself. I could love more. I could have loved my, my grandparents more. All my, my parents, my brothers, my wife, my children, the members of the congregation, I could love them more. My love has faltered. It's come up short. I've held back. I've served myself. And this is true for all of us. And regret is recognizing that that, that um, deficiency of love now cannot be fixed by your own efforts. The only hope for our regret is the blood of Jesus. So that the, the, the comfort when we're recognizing our failure to love as we should have is not in trying to talk ourselves into the fact that we did the best we could because we all know better, at least we should. The comfort comes in the fact that that's why Jesus died. That's why he shed his blood. To, to take away our sin and our shame and our regret. So Jesus looks at us and he says, 
I love you dearly. And by the way, Jesus tells us that the loved ones who have gone on before us, they are not angry at our lack of love. They love us dearly too. They look at us with the same eyes that Jesus looks at us with. That's our comfort. Point five. The thing that we, uh, as we all are doing the good work of grieving, the thing that we have to watch out for is that our love for the dead gets in the way of our love for the living. And this is where grief can become dangerous. I've seen this where, for example, this is very difficult for parents who are mourning, and they mourn the death of their children, of a, ch of a child, so much that they neglect the children that are living. And so as we look at grief as a part of our vocation, what we can say is, Am I, is my grieving getting in the way of loving the neighbors that are still alive, that the Lord has given me? Oftentimes this happens with, with parents who lose a child and their grief for that child sets them against each other. And it's so hard for them to love and to serve and bless each other when they need each other the most. And yet the mourning the death of a child will set them against each other. Or um, I've seen this also where uh, children who, for example, are mourning their parents and they neglect their vocation of going to school or, or, or whatever. So the, the way to check in and monitor our grief is to say, is it getting in, is my love for the dead getting in, in the way of my love for the living? And if it is, if you feel yourself unable to kind of engage in life, then that's time to go and call your pastor, uh, sit down with him and, and talk it through and, uh, and, and say, I think my grief is becoming overwhelming and there's different, different uh, things to do there. Uh, and th this is where the example of David comes in. The two times that David is mourning, first with Absalom. Remember, Absalom had rebelled against David, and his David's army had gone back, and they had overthrown Absalom so that David could go back and be king. And so the good news of Absalom's death comes back to David, and he weeps and mourns. And Joab, his soldier, his general, has to come and say, Look, you're despising your, um, your soldiers and the people who are on your side. You... You would have rather us die than Absalom. That's wrong. So pull yourself together. So David does, and he goes down. He sits back on the judgment throne, eventually goes back to Jerusalem. So his grief was getting in the way of his vocation. The other time, which is an amazing story, is in 2 Samuel chapter 12, when the first child of David and Bathsheba is born. It's very sick. And David goes for, I think, a week into the temple, and he's fasting, and he's praying there in the temple that the child would get better. He, he rends his clothes. He's distressed. And the child dies. And the servants don't want to tell David because they think if he is so upset when the child was alive, what's he going to do if he finds out that the child is dead? But David sees him whispering and he goes and he says, is the child dead? Yeah, they say. And he gets up and he puts on his clothes and he washes his face and he goes and sits down at his dinner and he goes back to work. And they say, what, what, do, you, what do you mean? And he says, well, while the child lived, I prayed that maybe the Lord would, would change his mind and give me relief and heal the child. But now the child's dead. It's no longer that I can't bring the child back to me. I must go to him. And this is one of the great um, lessons of our own grief, is that as we grieve now, we have that hmm, extra motivation. That sounds funny, but I'll let it stand. That extra motivation to, to get to where they are. 
so that we can come to the joys that they know. We sing it in the song, they have that for which we still endeavor. So that, so that as we store up treasures in heaven, as those that we love go ahead of us into eternal life, where our treasure is, our heart will be also. And the more people we love who are there in the face of Jesus, the more we long to go there as well. So that grief is, is motivating our faith and trust and rejoicing in the mercy and kindness of God. And there are five things about our Christian life of grieving. Thanks for listening to Whatnot the Podcast. And uh, the best way to keep in touch is through the Wednesday Whatnot, which I try to send out every Wednesday, free newsletter with theology articles, things I'm looking at, announcements. Um, doing a survey now on Christian persecution in the workplace. And that's also great. Wolfmuller.co slash woke work to fill out that survey if you haven't done it yet. This is a lot of great responses so far and looking forward to getting some more information. But you can find the Wednesday Whatnot at wolfmuller.co. You can find that survey, a bunch of other theology and all that kind of stuff uh, there at the website. When you're hanging around Austin, come visit St. Paul Lutheran Church or Jesus Deaf Lutheran Church. Uh, Be delighted to have you and meet you face face to face. Otherwise, keep in touch. God's peace be with you.